Welcome to Strings Explained, the podcast where we guide you through the world of playing string family instruments such as the violin, viola, cello and double bass. I'm Emma Hardy, a violin maker and repairer based in London. I noticed that many families or adult learners can feel baffled or overwhelmed by the world of violins. So this podcast aims to be your place to find answers to questions like, what is a shoulder rest and why do I need one? Or where the heck can I buy a good violin without taking out a mortgage first? Or just simply, how can I get my child to practice? Throughout this series, we'll be going underneath all the violin-related jargon to make you feel at home in the world of the violin. Episode 2. Differences between the violin, viola and cello. In this episode, we'll be looking at the differences between the violin, viola and cello. To keep things simple, I'm leaving double bassists out of this one, and we'll do a double bass special episode later in the series. If you're yet to decide which string family instrument you want to learn, or are considering switching from one to another, this episode is for you. We'll be going over the main differences that give each instrument a distinctive character. I'm going to start off by giving an overview of each instrument, and we'll point out those main differences as we go. The violin. Starting with the smallest in size, but highest in pitch, we've got the violin. The violin is sometimes referred to as the fiddle, and is a four-stringed instrument played by holding the neck of the instrument in the left hand and gripping the bass between your left shoulder and chin. A bow, which is made out of wood and horsehair, is drawn across the strings by the right hand. Players use something called rosin, which comes from pine resin. They rub this along the horsehair of the bow to create a sticky surface. There are tiny scales on horsehair which, when combined with the rosin, grab the violin strings, and as the bow is moved, causes an extremely fast grab and slip motion. There's footage of this in slow motion on YouTube, it's very cool to see, and I would definitely recommend going and having a look. This grab and slip motion creates vibration of the strings, which then travels to what we call the bridge, which holds the strings up, and then finally passes the vibration into the body of the violin, which agitates the air inside, and as it escapes through the F-holes, it creates noise. The violin itself is made of maple on the back, ribs and neck, spruce for the front, and usually ebony for the fingerboard. There are some violin makers who experiment with different kinds of wood, but these are most common. We'll be doing an episode going into more detail on a violin's construction later in the series. The violin's four strings are tuned in fifths to G, D, A, and E, with G being the lowest in pitch and E being the highest. Players use their left hand to place fingers over very specific parts of the strings which shorten the string, thus creating a new note. Violins for adults are called full size or 4-4 size, but they come in smaller sizes for children. Most common, getting smaller as we go, are 3 quarter size, half size, 1 quarter size, 1 eighth size, 1 tenth size, and 1 sixteenth. That takes us down to about a toddler's size, but you can go even smaller down through 132nd size and 164th. These children's violins work exactly the same way and have the same tuning as a full-size instrument, although because of their smaller air volume within the body of the instrument, they are quieter and don't have such a nice full-bodied sound once you go below about a half size. 
violin, viola, and cello strings were all traditionally made from animal guts, not cat, though, as is commonly thought. However, modern-day strings, you'll be pleased to hear, are made from a synthetic core wrapped with steel, silver, or gold. This synthetic inner creates a lovely warm sound. Some cheaper strings, which skip the core, can be bought, but are really not as nice to play or hear. Many violin players use a shoulder rest, which sits between the back of the instrument and the player's shoulder. It gives height and stability to the player, allowing them to grip it between the chin and shoulder and thus have less tension in the left hand, allowing for techniques such as vibrato, where the hand or finger is rapidly vibrated to create a pleasing tone. The violin has a somewhat murky history, but most agree that it originated in mainland Europe sometime around the 16th century. Some of the more recognised names of makers of the violin during this period are the Amati family, the the Salo family and the Guarneri family, with perhaps the most famous maker, Antonio Stradivari, coming a little later, living from 1644 to 1737. The violin has a huge range of repertoire available to it. Within an orchestra, there are usually two sets of violinists, referred to as first violin, which carries the melody, and second violin, which more often plays supporting harmony roles or rhythms. Music written for the violin uses the treble clef stave. For anyone who hasn't gotten as far as learning music notation yet, don't worry too much about this, it just refers to the position of notes on the lines of sheet music. The viola. The viola is somewhat larger than a violin, but with a fairly similar shape and is usually also played under the chin like a violin. I say usually because the viola is a sort of rebellious, carefree sibling of the violin. There is much less uniformity to the viola and they come in range of sizes. Confusingly, the viola is not described in fractional sizes like the violin, but in inches, which refers to the instrument's body length. The smallest being around 14 inch and the largest going up to 18 inch. The average though is probably around 15 15 and a half to 16 inches. These variations in size reflect the different roles that the viola was expecting to play within an ensemble. Larger violas were designed to sound best in the lower register of its range, whereas smaller violas sounded richest in the upper register. There were occasionally violas made that were so large that they would be played like a cello between the legs, but those are less common. Violas for children were not very common until fairly recently. Some manufacturers are now producing them sized fractionally like a violin, but more commonly schools or repairers take a child's violin and string it with a small scale viola strings. This doesn't create the optimum tone quality, but can work fine in a pinch. The viola is tuned to C, G, D, A with C being the lowest in pitch and A being the highest. This is exactly a fifth beneath the violin. So whilst the lowest note, C, can't be played on a violin, the open strings G, D and A are the same pitch as a violin. Players will have to spread their fingers on the left hand out more than on a violin, as the notes have wider spacing. And because the viola is larger, and thus heavier, than the violin, it requires a heavier bow with a slightly wider band of hair. Violists use slightly darker and stickier rosin too, for the same reason. Once again, players often use a shoulder rest, although the increase in viola size means some people find that they may not need one. Like the violin, the viola is made from maple, spruce, and ebony, although people are definitely more comfortable experimenting with other woods within this instrument, particularly for the back. This is probably because there has historically been so little uniformity in other aspects of it compared to the violin. The viola's repertoire has historically been mainly as a supportive role to fill out the harmonies, without much opportunity to hold the melody itself. However, that is beginning to change, with the viola becoming a more popular 
soloist instrument, and thus more being written for it. Many people prefer the sound of the viola to the violin, as it has a similar expressive range but doesn't sound quite so screechy under the hands of a beginner. But joking aside, the viola is a beautiful sounding instrument that doesn't often get the recognition it deserves. It is a true middle child between the violin and the cello in that respect. Music written for the viola commonly uses the alto clef, placing middle C on the third line of the stave, whereas the treble clef, used by the violin, places middle C on the first ledger line down from the bottom of the stave. The cello. And finally, we move on to the largest in size and lowest in pitch, the cello. Sometimes referred to as the violoncello, the cello is so large that it is not played under the chin and is instead held between the player's legs with a metal spike that comes from the bottom of the instrument and extends to the floor. This spike is adjusted to suit the height of the player and it can be safely retracted inside the instrument when not in use. Like the violin and viola, players use the left hand for shortening the strings to create notes and the right hand for bowing. The bow is once again heavier with a yet wider band of hair. You can probably sense a pattern here as the rosin is also darker and stickier to help with all of this. The cello swaps us back to using similar sizing system to that of the violin. Adult cellos are referred to as four size or four four, and then the children's instruments also use this same fractional sizing name as they descend down in sizes through three quarters, half, and so on, just like the violin. The cello is tuned to C, G, D, and A like the viola, but actually it's a whole octave below the viola. So it has a much lower pitch sound. Music for the cello is generally written in the bass clef, but sometimes uses tenor clef and treble clef for higher range passages. The wood is the same as the viola and the violin, but in case you've forgotten or are skipping through, that's maple, spruce, and ebony. The fingerboards sometimes have what is called a rhomberg, which is a flat area down the side of the fingerboard that runs under the C string. There was a fashion for this for a little while, with the intent to create stability for the left hand when playing with that string. But that seems to be starting to fade away now, much to the pleasure of repairers, as it's quite a headache to create. The cello is increasing in popularity for children beginning to learn something, which is fantastic as it's an incredibly beautiful and stirring instrument. The cello also has a wide repertoire available to it, both as a soloist and in ensembles. Adults can sometimes feel a little deterred by the size, but if you have space for one, I would really recommend seriously considering this as an option. I'm a violin player and I have noticed among adults there is a slight shortage of cellists and ensembles and learning groups, so anyone listening who just needs that little nudge to get you on team cello, consider this your nudge. If you haven't yet made up your mind as to which of these instruments would suit you, why not see whether there are any taster days in your area? These most commonly exist for children, with some schools even hosting them, so that the children can get hands-on experience with the instruments and see what feels right to them before making a commitment. Other things to consider are what kind of music you enjoy listening to. If you love the deep sonority of the cello, then that's probably what you'll enjoy playing. Whereas if you love the bright upper strings of a violin and their intense emotion, you might prefer to play that. If your child is very young, make sure you spend time exposing them to the kind of music that they'll be playing with their teacher. This is an important step 
that many parents forget about. If the children don't know what they're aiming for, or haven't had time yet to be inspired by professional musicians and their music, then you're likely to end up with an unmotivated child that is reluctant to practice. When we teach children to read, we don't only show them the grammar and vocabulary lists, which are obviously important. We also read them stories and sit with them and encourage them as they learn to write their own. So in my opinion, we really shouldn't forget this step when thinking about integrating music lessons into a child's life. It is, after all, another form of language, and if they're the only musician in the family, they might be feeling a little lost. Any extra support you can give them outside of their lessons will go a long way. Even if that's just offering a sing-along while they play a nursery rhyme, or playing some music while they're enjoying a bath or quiet time activity. Having said that, there are practical elements to consider. For example, you might end up having to transport the instrument around a lot, which can be challenging for cellists. Cellos are actually not as heavy as they look, but they are bulky and you need to be careful as you move them from place to place, as they are sensitive to knocks. Storage availability in the home can be another factor to consider, but you can buy special stands or hooks that go on walls. While I would advocate always storing your instruments safely in its case whenever you can, hanging on the wall or having it up on the shelf might be a suitable option in some homes. So to summarise, the main differences between these instruments are their size and corresponding pitch. Okay, that's all for now. I hope this helps you decide which instrument you'll play, or if you already knew, perhaps you've learned a little more about the one you've chosen. In the next episode, we'll be talking about instrument maintenance, so how to take care of your instrument and make sure it's kept in good playing condition. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to subscribe and leave a review, which helps other people become aware of the podcast. If you're looking for other resources, you can take a look at my website, www.hardyviolins.co.uk, which I'm updating regularly with playlists and tips for parents of children learning instruments and also adult learners.